Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the founder of Fish on First, providing you guys with complete Miami Marlins coverage. Thank you for joining me again here on the pod. A couple announcements to get out of the way. First off, I hope it's settled by the time I upload this pod on Tuesday, but we're currently working through some issues with Apple Podcasts. Uh, Long story short, they essentially copied, cloned our podcast feed and start publishing episodes on that feed instead of the original feed. So we hope to get that figured out, and we hope that people that are originally subscribed to the Apple feed continue, we'll, we'll get them as usual moving forward. But just know, as I'm recording this on Monday afternoon, I'm still working through what is going on with Apple. If you can't find us there, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everything is on YouTube. You can see my smiling face over there. So subscribe to us on those platforms if you like. Leave a like a rating and review wherever applicable. All that is appreciated. Uh, yeah, hoping that we're not going to inconvenience our Apple listeners any longer moving forward, but I will keep you posted on that. This is a reminder that last month we partnered with Marlins Discord to bring people to their Discord server, creating a place where we can have real-time conversations as best as possible about the Marlins, specifically also about what we're doing at Fish on First. We have a channel on the Discord server that is reserved private exclusively for our paid super subscribers. The surfer itself, totally free. I will add a link to it in this episode description on our website. Send it out again on our social accounts to remind people. Everybody is welcome there. Best place possible to have those real-time conversations to get more honest. I'm as honest with you as I can be publicly, but to get the real unfiltered version of, of Eli's opinions on the Marlins, to have conversations there outside of uh, the public view, I can be even more forthcoming with how I'm feeling about the team and certain players. I encourage you guys to join us on the Marlins Discord server over there. Also, because we are working through, hopefully in the very near future, in a matter of weeks, if not days, we will complete a migration of our site, fishonfirst.com, to a new platform, enhancing what we can do over there from a content perspective a layout perspective. We're moving to a new content management system and a new display in the near-term future to keep you updated on how that is going to work and to get you through that transition as easily as possible. Our paid super subscribers, they'll get the first info about that. So we encourage people to sign up for as little as $3 a month on the Fish on First website, and we'll explain what is going on with that process and how you can help us as we really branch out and make this a better, bigger, and better outlet than ever before. So now moving on to our Marlins content. Most of the show, I'm going to be sharing my mid-offseason Marlins opening day roster projection. We are almost equidistant between the day that the Marlins were eliminated from the 2023 postseason and when the entire squad is going to get together for workouts 
in Jupiter middle of February, as I'm recording this on December 11th, almost smack dab in the middle. Uh, it goes without saying that this team is incomplete at the moment, but the roster is full, and in light of Sunday's trade, you can actually project a coherent roster for them. So I'm going to take you through in real time what I imagine the 26-man roster would look like come opening day, assuming no injuries and assuming that everybody that is on that roster remains on that roster once we get there. First, let's get into this Christian Bentoncourt trade reaction here. Uh, went down on Sunday to take up the final spots on the Marlins 40-man roster. They sent cash considerations to the Cleveland Guardians to get Benthencourt. He has been around a long, long time. Let me see if I have the transaction log for people to look at. Originally started off in the Braves organization and was there for, what, about eight years through their organization. He peaked as a top 100 MLB prospect, according to most people's evaluations of it, and he has been passed around quite a bit since then. So you can get the full view. Spent time in the Brewers organization, the Phillies, the Pirates, the Oakland A's, the Tampa Bay Rays, only about a month in the Guardians organization before going to the Marlins. He did not play a single game for the Guardians. He was in the Rays last season and for part of 2022 as well. And the most concise way that I can sum this up is that he is a rich man's Jacob Stallings, almost across the board, an improved version of Jacob Stallings, filling that void that the Marlins had on the roster. Stallings, as you know, was pretty much in an even time split with Nick Fortes over the last couple of years as the Marlins catcher. Very bad in both of those seasons, especially offensively, but also defensively relative to expectations. Just a, re a replacement-level player if you're being really generous about it. And uh, if... I would say even less than that. Oh, a very quick comparison between Stallings and Benthencourt through the uh, stat head comparison, player comparisons that are available on stat head. They call this the versus finder. It allows you to stack up their numbers pretty simply in that way. All the green is on favor of Benthencourt with the exception of on-base percentage. So that is the fatal flaw in his game that I'll tackle first with Benthencourt. He's a really undisciplined hitter, has one of the lowest walk rates in the majors over the last decade when he's gotten sporadic playing time. Still, he is, relative to other catchers, he's been able to be a solid offensive performer, an OPS plus and a WRC plus in the high 80s over the last two years. That's what you want from a catcher. That is pretty close to the average for a catcher, and he combines that with an interesting defensive skill set. He is, I would not say, a good defensive catcher. He has at times been a good overall defensive catcher, mainly because of his arm. He has one of the exceptional pop times in all of baseball, the time between when he receives a pitch and when he throws down to second base, 1.87 seconds on average. The very best in the league, JT Real Muto, is 1.83. That is the only catcher in baseball last year that had a quicker pop time than Bentecourt. And the accuracy of his throws, also very good. I posted an example on Twitter of him gunning down Jesus Sanchez last season. That combination of quick release and accuracy makes a big difference in deterring opposing base dealers. That is the biggest knock that you can have, not only on Stallings, but also on Nick Fortes last year. The Marlins as a whole did not control the running game well at all. That is, it's a two-way street between both the pitchers and the catchers. 
there are some situations, and StatCast has done a much better job of quantifying this in recent years, is how many caught ceilings a catcher themselves can actually prevent due to the accuracy of their throws and how quickly they get them out there. In Benthancourt, each of the last two years, several caught ceilings above average when you adjust for all the conditions that are taking place. That's a big contrast from the Marlins catchers who are both below average in preventing caught ceilings. That stuff really adds up. If you're looking for a Marlins team, if you're relying on them to have anywhere close to the same success that they had in close games that we saw in 2023, they're going to have to do a better job at keeping runners on first from advancing into scoring position. And especially to avoid with Fortes in particular, he had this issue of trying too hard on his throws and throwing them into the outfield, allowing guys to go first to third on stolen base attempts. Even if it's just a few instances between last year, guys going from first to third versus this upcoming year, maybe just a handful of them being thrown out stealing under those same circumstances that could sway the outcome of one or maybe multiple games in the Marlins favor. That aspect they like I'll reiterate the, his lack of plate discipline means that's a pretty low floor. There are there's with catcher less so than other positions you're willing to get like live with some poor offense. There is the possibility that Benthic Gord is just unplayable because he's swinging at bad pitches, not making any productive outs, and not tapping into his power. His his raw power relative to other catchers is extremely solid, if not slightly better than that. It, it's an intriguing tool that he has. It's a reason why at times in 2022, when he was a league average hitter overall, he was even getting some starts in the DH spot for both the A's and the Tampa Bay Rays after he's traded over them over there just because he in certain situations he really can hit that three-run homer for you a dimension that the marlins have been sorely missing from their catchers the last couple of years there is risk and i'll acknowledge that the reason why they're able to get him for cash considerations is because there's a possibility that by the end of the season even by the middle of the season he might be out of baseball entirely this guy's career arc has been really unusual what was missing from that transaction log is the time that he spent in Korea with the KBO for a single season when his major league prospects, he wasn't really getting much of a shake here. This is a player that barely, that really did not get anything close to a full season's workload in the bigs until just the last two years, his age 30 and 31 seasons. Could he be a late bloomer? Um, it's possible. This is something else that makes catcher a unique position is sometimes guys relatively, even when they're past their physical primes, they can achieve their very best results and get their most playing time at that position. He's never had more than what 330 something plate appearances, 333. And I think if you're being reasonable, you can't count on anything more than that. So this guy is not going to be your everyday catcher or anything close to that. He is somebody that as we'll get to in just a few minutes, like you can see a scenario where he essentially fills Jacob Stalling's shoes. And it's close to an even split between him and Fortes. That's not very sexy. It is still a step in the right direction with this team. He is arbitration eligible, projected by MLB trade rumors for about $2.3 million this upcoming year. He's also arb eligible again in 2025. If this pays off really well, if he performs, let's say the average of who he was the, the previous couple of years, then He'll get a slight raise in 2025, and the Marlins will have two years of club control over him. So that is, you know, the upside is okay. He's still 
it's not reasonable to expect him to be that everyday catcher, to be even an above average major league catcher. But considering where this position was for the Marlins last year, to take that leap from going to one of the very worst in the league to just mediocre, that is worth at least a win on for this team as well. For what it's worth, uh, Ray's pitchers had a less success throwing to him in 2023. There's a lot of noise when you look at catcher's ERA, but his was 360. And if I could pull it up really quick, what was the Ray's team ERA as a whole in 2023? It was 3.86. So about a quarter of the run better. That adds up again. Just considering how low uh, the the bar was for this veteran Mar Marlins catcher role the last couple of years, um, I see this as a pretty clear win for the team. Um, I never shy of being critical about some of the team's decisions in the Peter Bendix era, just a little bit a month into that era. This is probably the first time where I see it as a clear cut thumbs up from me on this move to add Christian Benson court. So we will see still just midway through the offseason, So still time reporting from both John Heyman and Craig Mish of the Marlins are continuing still to, going to be open to adding another catcher to this mix. So still seeking upgrades if they could get the right price for them. At the very least, this is a placeholder that moves them a little bit closer to being a well-rounded team. And for all the success they had last year, it was not a well-rounded team. And this is a step in the right direction. So welcome to Christian. I think he's going to have a media availability soon. And you can follow us on Fish on First for coverage of that. This takes us into a mid-offseason Marlins opening day roster projections. Just over two months away from the start of pitchers and catch from the first full squad workout, I should say with the Marlins, it's a good time in my opinion to get a, get a feel for exactly where the Marlins are and what still has to be done. We're going to make the assumption. I'll throw it up on the screen now for you to see. We're going to make the assumption that this is the, team that the Marlins have to work with as of December 11th, 2023. A closer look right here. There's the 40-man roster. The Benthencourt trade filled up the 40-man roster for the Marlins, and it gave them, finally, more than one catcher on there, which is a pretty important prerequisite for putting together an actual opening day 26-man roster projection right here. As you can see, this is a roundup of the acquisitions that the Marlins have had this offseason. Calvin Fauché, Ryan Jensen, Caleb Ort, Vidal Bruhan. He was a, a focus of our recent pod episode. And now Christian Benthencourt. Those are the five newcomers to the 40-man from outside the organization since last year. We're going to look together how these pieces could conceivably fit together if the Marlins did nothing else. As much time as there is still to go in this offseason, we need to acknowledge the slim possibility that they stand pat and go into this year with the pieces that they have and, and stay away from any drastic shakeups. Uh, I would assume that's not the case. Again, this is just to give you an idea of how the pieces would fit together if they did nothing else. Now that we, there's finally a second catcher in the organization to work from. Uh, I will refer back to this a couple times here. Of course, in a lot of off seasons, you don't make your opening day roster entirely of your existing 40-man roster, there's always the possibility that a non-roster invitee sneaks into the equation. And there's an example of what the Marlins are looking at from that standpoint. This is a combination of players that we know 
are NRIs at spring training this upcoming year versus those that, in my educated guess, are going to get invites to spring training. And it's an incomplete list. More NRIs get announced by the team soon. That will give us a clearer idea of how these pieces fit together. In addition to the 40-man roster, we expect to see, when all is said and done, perhaps a, a couple dozen um, pitchers and hitters that are also in the mix. The ones that we know for sure, Matt Andrees. He's had a lot of big league experience as a swingman, uh, including time with the Rays that overlapped with Peter Bendix. We Devin Smeltzer, if, in case you missed it, the Marlins re-signed Devin Smeltzer uh, back to a similar situation where he was in last year on this team. I included in here a mix of fish on first top 30 prospects like Dax Fulton, Patrick Monteverde, Will Banfield, Paul McIntosh, and we'll touch on him again soon, Troy Johnston. So most of these players were NRIs at spring training last year. Usually you don't move backwards in that regard unless you've had a terrible year. Uh, Tristan Gray is another one that we know confirmed is going to be an NRI. The Marlins signed him as a minor league free agent. And there are some relievers in here. Paul Campbell still exists. I bet you forgot about Paul Campbell. He is still in the organization. I'll be curious to see what he looks like on the other side of Tommy John's surgery, even though expectations are low. So I'll be referring to these guys again as we uh, get through this exercise and map together our uh, Marlins 40-man roster. Starting with the pitchers, and specifically starting with ones we know pretty confidently are going to be in the starting rotation. Jesus Lazardo is going to be in there. Braxton Garrett. One more reminder that we are assuming no additional trades the course of this offseason, even though these are naturally high-profile trade candidates. Just using the existing players in the organization, what our 2024 opening day roster projection would look like. Lazardo, Garrett, Yuri. You think all those guys absolute locks in the rotation, right? So from there, we need to consider actual roster rules. There are players that due to service time or due to past transactions are out of minor league options. So if they are in the organization and they are healthy, they're going to be in this mix somehow. Uh, most prominent one on the pitching side, Tanner Scott, who... Um, Skip was non-committal about whether Tanner Scott was specifically going to be his closer, but we know for sure he'd be high leverage relief if he is still with the Marlins organization. Also on the reliever side, we have JT Chagua. He is out of options as well. That was one reason why the Marlins were able to acquire him so cheaply in the first place a year ago. Steven Okert as well, another veteran reliever, out of options. So he would be in the opening day bullpen if things go well. For him, there's another player that's out of options in a projected reliever role. That'd be Sixto Sanchez. Longtime listeners of, of Fish on First don't need me to reiterate that the Marlins cannot expect anything from Sixto. I, I cannot, in good conscience, put him on an opening day roster projection. If he somehow still is on the Marlins roster entering the regular season, it would be on the injured list. Uh, if, for, if for whatever reason they haven't already shed him off the 40-man, I have to assume it would be because he's on the IL. Barring a medical miracle, it, it's just hard to believe that his shoulder can be restored to its previous condition enough for him to actually be a viable piece of a major league pitching staff in here. When it comes to the rest of the rotation, it's essentially four guys for two spots between Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers. Max Meyer 
and Ryan Weathers. A couple of those coming off of season-ending injuries. And yeah, with Cabrera, I think Cabrera is the safest assumption to have a spot in this exercise. Of course, when he was on the active roster last year, he spent most of that time in the rotation, if not as a bulk guy following an opener. He's out of options. If he's still here, um, I think eventually his best spot will be as a reliever. But as, as long as he doesn't poop the bed in spring training, then I, I figure he's going to open the season in the rotation as one of those four guys. And so we're filling in the blanks between Trevor, uh, as as little as we've seen of Trevor Rogers, and although he's getting pretty far removed from his rookie of the year days, uh, he does insist he's he's fully healthy now after his combination of injuries last year. And I, I think he's, this, again, the safest pick here for a rotation spot. He'll have to earn it in spring training. And uh, I think it'll be a fierce competition. But um, it's and even though he does have minor league options remaining, if things go south for him during spring training, that is Lozardo, Garrett, Perez, Cabrera, Rogers. That seems to be uh, the front runners for those five spots for a different variety of reasons. As we fill out the bullpen, now we just go in order of quality and trustworthiness. Andrew Nardi, for sure. There's uh, really nothing else that he has to prove uh, in order to at least make the team, if not have a high leverage role on that team. Uh, the new acquisitions, Fauché, Jensen, Caleb Ort, I, I can't imagine them really being in the mix for this team. Um, AJ Puck is a fascinating one. Our own Isaac Azut was reporting that he's going to enter camp preparing to be a starter, be ready and stretched out for that role and try to make that conversion. It's a really fascinating idea and one that I'm I'm kind of on board for the experiments. I think you have to assume that it's not quite going to work out. So uh, there are a variety of ways they could go depending on how he makes that adjustment. But with him, the safer assumption is that once again, they enter the season with four lefties in the bullpen. He'll be the fourth and final lefty there. You have Huascar Brazoban, some inconsistencies with him last year. During the first quarter of the season, though, he was awesome for this team. I think even when his control is off, his the sheer inability to make good contact against him is very valuable. I, I would say among the right-handed reliever options, aside from Shagwa, who has to be on there, Brazoban would be my front runner for another spot in there. And I think pretty close behind him, George Soriano as well. He flashed some interesting starter characteristics last year with his decent control with having three pitches, the slider in particular looking like a plus pitch, the fastball looking average-ish, and in the changeup even flashing average potential. Like It's not outrageous to see him become a starter at some point. Uh, I envision him opening up next season in sort of that long relief bulk role because that's actually where he had most of his success last year when he was in the big leagues. Um, it's not glamorous, but he certainly showed a lot of potential right there. And, and that would be a situation where they could now stretch him out as the season goes along uh, if things go well. Ryan Weathers is a, another strong consideration here, but I, I'm still curious to see what adjustments Weathers makes during the course of the offseason. Uh, aside from his very last start of the year, to me, he's he still seems somebody that is very much a work in progress 
as well. Um, so I'm making the tough call here to assume that Weathers is going to get optioned down to AAA to start the season. So this brings us, to me, it's three guys for one final spot on this opening day pitching staff. I have Anthony Bender coming off Tommy John surgery, Anthony Maldonado, who has nothing left to prove at the AAA level, and he was selected to the 40-man roster, and then former top draft pick Max Meyer as well. Just like Bender coming off a Tommy John surgery, those guys are at almost the same timeline right there. All three of them, there's quite a bit of similarities. Uh, Different builds physically. Meyer is the smallest of them. Maldonado the largest. Bender in the middle. In terms of fastball velocity, Bender takes the cake, followed by Meyer and then Maldonado. But all three, the standout characteristic is their slider and ability to get swing and miss with that. The passage of time, this always happens with players coming off significant injuries. It makes us forget just how excited player uh, potential these guys have. And Meyer is somebody that understandably I feel is being overlooked at this stage, just given how much time he was away and the fact that his tiny sample in the big leagues was not encouraging. But if I had to make a pick here, I'm going to go with Max Meyer making the opening day pitching staff in somewhat similar to Soriano, probably a lower leverage multi-ending role, allowing him to be stretched out later in the season. I don't think the Marlins have totally punted on him as a starting rotation candidate. I also don't think he's going to crack the rotation coming out of camp just because if nothing else, understanding that over the course of the season, he's not going to be, he's not conditioned to make 30 starts in the big leagues over the course of a, a single season, but he's somebody to make the bullpen. And uh, depending on how he performs over there and how the rest of the rotation lines up, I think he could go into that rotation as the season progresses. So that's my pitching staff projected based on players currently in the org. Jesus Lozardo, Braxton Garrett, Yuri Perez, Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers, Tanner Scott, JT Chagua, Stephen Okert, Andrew Nardi, AJ Puck, Huasca Brazaban, George Soriano, and Max Meyer. A lot of familiar names. Like 11 of those guys were on the roster for the majority of last season. The only ones, Trevor Rogers and Max Meyer coming off of injuries. It's a lot of familiar names uh, in there for people following this team and the pitching staff was okay for last year. So maybe that's not such a bad thing. It would though ultimately be surprising if there's that much continuity from one season to another, from one front office leader to another right there. And that brings us to the hitter side. I spent a lot of time on the pitching side just because the hitter side is extremely clear cut. It's process of elimination. This 40 man roster, it only has 17 hitters on there. I'll again throw up the options that the Marlins have among potential non-roster invitees. This is not a complete list. This is not an official list yet. Banfield and McIntosh were were guys that if the Marlins hadn't acquired a catcher from outside the organization, they would get they'd have a actual path to get up there early in the season, but now pretty clearly blocked unless there is an injury of some kind. Jose Devers, remember him? He had a good season at AA last year, and he's playing winter ball right now. I'll study him a little bit closer to see if there's you know anything there that truly jumps out, but it's been a long road for him to get back to the kind of prospect that he was a few years ago due to some injuries. Uh, Marty Costas was a minor league rule five pick. I included Griffin Conine there at speculation. I don't know if either of those guys for sure will be NRIs, but they're... Triple A players 
um, who have some interesting tools in there. Tristan Gray, as I touched on before, a minor league signing, non-roster invitee, one of the very first moves that Peter Bendix made. So he'll get a shot. To me, I see 13 guys that are pretty clearly ahead of the rest. Process of elimination on this 40-man roster. Victor Mesa Jr., I feel quite high about his future prospects. He's just not ready yet. He had an uneven season at AA this past year. He's only 22 years old. I, I don't really see him coming up unless he gets close to everyday playing time and when he's ready. And I don't think either of those elements apply to the Marlins outlook. Jordan Groshans, a, a pretty steep fall that he's made since coming over in mid-2022. Uh, just total lack of standout tools from him aside from bat-to-ball skills. There is defensive versatility in the infield corners. Pretty troubling that he's no longer a middle infield option there. I, I don't see the path to him getting in the mix after, at least not from the start of the season. We'll see what he could do to rebuild his value as the season progresses. Peyton Burdick on paper, like, well, the, the idea of Peyton Burdick is a lot sexier than the reality of Peyton Burdick. I, I, could, I envisioned him as entering last year as a useful platoon corner outfielder who could also fake it in center field and at least mash lefties. Then you look at his 2023 season and that didn't happen. He didn't really mash lefties much at all compared to righties. It was and overall against both those pitch types, just way too many strikeouts for him. He has awesome power. He doesn't get to it often enough. Um, so I imagine he's on the outside looking in. And then the final one is Jacob Amaya, who entering last year, there was a thought that he would have a real chance to make it onto the roster. He came up for a cup of coffee and otherwise spent almost all of last year at the AAA level. I mean, he hit for a decent amount of power down there, but the measurables don't stick out in terms of things that you think would translate to hitting for power in the big leagues. The defense was fine at shortstop, but not dramatically better than some of the Marlins' other options at that position. So he'll get a chance to compete, uh, but he'll have to have a pretty good spring training or capitalize on some injuries in order to uh, make it up there. So with those four kind of ruled out, you could fill in this group fairly, fairly simply. With uh, We'll just go in alphabetical order down here from Luis Arise. We have John Birdie as the primary shortstop for this team, much like that Joey Wendell was entering last year. Not an everyday guy. The the um, tantalizing thought of Birdie graduating from a utility guy to everyday. Um, we, we've seen that in spurts. It just doesn't sustain itself. So he'll just be, he's the placeholder at shortstop until Jacob Amaya makes a big progress where the Marlins make a move that brings them with a more desirable um shortstop option in there of course the guy featured in the first segment of our pod christian bentoncourt he will make the roster not not clear whether he or fortes would be the main catcher uh it depends quite a bit on what kind of bounce back fortes has as a hitter coming off of last year either way bentoncourt will certainly be on there then we have uh, vidal brujan how are we going to use brujan i've been following him this winter uh the, the biggest positives that stick out are his strike zone awareness and his base running. He leads the entire Dominican Winter League in steals. He's been um, 
among the leaders in walks as well, drawing walks down there. He has the versatility to play almost everywhere except for pitcher, catcher, and first base. So he's going to be, and he has to be on this roster, to be clear, uh, because he's out of minor league options. That was the reason why he was so affordable for the Marlins to acquire <clears throat> from the Rays earlier this offseason. And they acquired him clearly with the intent to put him on the roster in some role. How much he sticks up there remains to be seen. He'll have to hit a whole lot better than he has in the major leagues to this point. Then we have Jake Berger. He's going to be the primary third baseman, somebody who can move over to first base as Josh Bell's backup when Bell is DHing. He could also go to DH when to open up playing time at third for Bruhan or for Birdie or for Xavier Edwards. We'll get to him in just a moment. We have Jazz Chisholm Jr. as the main center fielder on this team. Brian De La Cruz retaining his role as a, the primary left fielder on this team. Now we get to Edwards, who was incredible at the AAA level last year. Uh, there's been some murmuring that the front office thinks he'll he deserves a chance to show what he can do at shortstop, despite having limited recent experience there, barely playing there last year and never doing so in the big leagues. I had a piece on Fish on First about Edwards as a potential shortstop. As I laid out, there's just a lot of skepticism about him having the arm necessary to make off-balance and accurate throws um, at that position to make it work. I have him on here as a second baseman, a backup second baseman to Arise, the backup third baseman to Birdie, to a Burger, somebody who could be used pretty frequently as a pinch runner, and I guess as an occasional pinch hitter when you have somebody that is in a pretty unfavorable platoon situation. Edwards, of course, is a pinch, is a switch hitter, so no huge platoon splits with him over there. We know we saw in a small sample that his bunting can be highly useful as well. I, I do think that there is still a path for him to be on the big league roster, but he's just, he's not quite that high enough priority where the Marlins have to worry about getting him regular at bats. He'll get regular at bats. If uh, an obvious void opens, if a rise gets hurt, perhaps even if Jake Berger gets hurt, um, it would really help if he played short, it would help if he got more comfortable in the outfield. I, I do think that he's going to squeeze on this roster and at least compared to the alternatives, I think that makes sense um, that he should do so. So then we have Nick Fortes. And then the last uh, really controversial one would be Avisail Garcia. I have been on this thing for about nine months now, since very early last season that uh, Marlins should just tear off that bandaid with Garcia. He's not the player they thought they were signing a couple of years ago. It's a pretty tough loss, but it is a sunk cost at this point, and they're not doing themselves any favors by continuing to cling on to him. That being said, you know the sentiment that we've heard so far, the Marlins are not tipping their hands that they would consider cutting him before getting one last look of him at the start of next spring. And maybe they do get to a point where if his spring looks anything like his 2023 swing and he's spring and he's having so much trouble making contact that perhaps they pull the plug on that before the season starts and make room for him. In this moment, just understanding the Marlins being a very fiscally conservative team, one that waits generally as long as possible before giving up on what 
a big investment can bring them. I think you have to operate under the assumption that Avi is going to be on the roster. So what role is it going to be? Uh, platooning with Jesus Sanchez. I think the sentiment we've heard from the team is that they don't really bind to Sanchez as an everyday player, that they still see pretty big concerns against from him facing lefties. So Avi could get some at-bats over there, and he could get quite a few at-bats at DH as currently comprised. If Bell is playing first base more often than not, if Jake Berger is playing third base pretty frequently, then there will be times where there there are, are there's something to be filled at DH and having Garcia and his power upside, it's something. Um, so this is not my opinion. This is just my honest-to-goodness projection here that I, I think they're going to give Garcia another a third chance to help the Marlins win games, at least early in the season. We fill out the roster from there with Dane Myers. He's going to be really the conventional fourth outfielder. If we consider Garcia more DH and outfielder, then Dane would be the backup center fielder behind Jazz. He would be another option to platoon. I get, well, make some starts in center when Jazz is facing a tough lefty. And then the final spot being Jesus Sanchez, had a nice season last year considering how slow it started and how little playing time he was getting initially. But I do think um, he did enough there to get pretty significant role moving forward as currently constructed. So there's my demonstration right there to recap the hitters that I chose for this roster projection. Luis Arise, John Birdie, Josh Bell, Christian Bentoncourt, Vidal Brujan, Jake Berger, Jazz Chisholm Jr., Brian De La Cruz, Xavier Edwards, Nick Fortes, Avisail Garcia, Dane Myers, and Jesus Sanchez. Among this entire 26-man projection, the only two names that were not with the Marlins when the offseason began are Benton Quartz and Bruhan, and neither of those really being everyday players. The obvious subtractions from last year being Jorge Soler, Matt Barnes, um, Sandy Alcantara due to injury. So he'd open next season on the 60-day IL. That creates some more 40-man wiggle room over there. It's not a great team. I'm not trying to sell you on a great team. I'm, I'm just showing you one that looks like a coherent baseball team. The Marlins have midway through this offseason. They've built a coherent group of players from which to draw from. Uh, I do find those competitions on the pitching staff to be legitimately interesting for both the fourth and fifth rotation spot, as well as a, a final right-handed reliever in the bullpen. Uh, that is still a strength of this team. And now we wait. Now we wait to see how this offseason progresses, whether we've heard the rumors out there that the Marlins are listening on so many of their pitchers and at least open to making deals that reinforce their offense so the question is whether peter bendix and company actually pulled the trigger on any of those trades or if they you know ride forward with this potential group so among the internal options that the marlins have i'd be curious to hear if you would assemble the opening day roster any differently than i just did right there let me know you can find me of course on twitter at both real eli and at fish on first i set up a new special fish on first email address as well uh eli.sussman at fishonfirst.com so you can send me emails over at that new address if that's your preferred mode of communication right, one more time for our apple usual usual apple listeners i'm sorry for the inconvenience i'm, I'm hoping that this episode is easily normally discoverable for you the way that it used to be as we work through those issues over there uh 
Either way, leave us a rating and review. That would be much appreciated to reach even more Marlins fans. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to us over there because we're so close to the 2,000 subscriber milestone. Ideally, we, we hit that before the end of the year and we'll do something special to show our appreciation to our audience about that. And I encourage people to hop over to the Marlins Discord server. So we were going to add a link in the description of this episode as well as uh, I'll probably add one on the final YouTube version, a link for you to click through directly on the video to take you to the Marlins Discord server. We have a channel exclusively for our Twitter, our, our Twitter, our overall Fish on First super subscribers on that Discord server. So we appreciate everybody's support. We have a lot more content coming here. And I'm glad you're sticking with us here on uh, the official show. Every week you get episodes from me over here in addition to all the other content that the rest of our staff provides uh, across our various platforms. So your support greatly appreciated. We made it halfway. As I said, halfway getting to that when the team reunites in Jupiter. So it's going by not, it's not actually going by very quickly, but we've made it far enough to this point and should be even more eventful the rest of the way than it's been so far. Appreciate everybody that listens. I've been Eli Sussman. As always, go fish.